Yes, ma'am. I read you loud and clear. Yes, ma'am. This is. Yes, ma'am. This is. This is the president. Nobody's ever done a better job than I'm doing as president. I didn't know that. Damn it. A president and his family have been subjected to such a heavy barrage of teasing and fun poking and satire. I mean, there have been books on backstairs at the White House, and cartoon books with clever sayings, and uh, uh, photo albums with uh, balloons and the, and the rest, and now a uh, smash hit record. Can you tell us uh, whether you read and listen to these things and whether they produce annoyment or enjoyment? <laughs> annoyment. Uh, no, they produce... I, yes, I have read them and listened to them. Actually, I listened to Mr. Meade's record, but I thought it sounded more like Teddy than it did me. But uh... Now down onto the floor for this week's press conference. Yes, well, there is no opening statement. I think I will just take the uh, first question. Watch Bentley, Washington Daily Herald. Uh, sir, would you comment on the African situation, please? Well, now I'm not up to date on that. <laughs> now, uh, I sent a uh, personal representative to Africa uh, some months ago. So far, she hasn't even dropped me a card. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to This is the President. We wanted to try something a little different with this video. This is an audio interview I did with the legendary comedy writer Bob Booker, who, along with his business partner Earl Dowd, created one of the highest selling, if not the highest selling, comedy albums in United States history, The First Family. We actually did this interview with Bob way back in 2020, during the dark beginnings of the corona pandemic, so you'll hear a couple of corona references in there, but we decided to leave them in because they still felt relevant. So. Without further ado, please enjoy the This is the President interview with Bob Booker. Tell me a little bit how you got started in the industry. When I was a kid, I was a disc jockey on radio uh, in Florida. You had met a few uh, comedian celebrities when you were working down there? Yeah, they were all on my uh, show. I had an afternoon uh, four to seven drive time thing, they called it. And of course, Miami was probably the biggest center for live entertainment on the East Coast then, with nightclubs, during, particularly during the season, you know, the winter season when everybody got out of New York. So it was from Sinatra on down, uh, every, every night, every night. A lot of clubs, great city, great city, different today. At one point you relocated to New York City? Right, I, uh, I finally decided that to further the career, New York was uh, the Mecca. That was the place right. where it was happening. And I was in television in Miami also. Uh, I was in television in Florida for a long time. I was, I was in television in 1949. And uh, to move on, I figured that New York was the place to go. And I really had uh, been lucky enough to do pretty much everything I wanted to do in Miami. And I didn't want to sit there the rest of my life and just keep doing the same thing. So I moved on. Right. And how did you, how did you meet Earl? 
through mutual friends in New York, and a lot of us, uh, some some Irish guys were involved in it. We'd go to the pubs in the afternoon or evening and sit around uh, forming our own kind of round table and trading jokes. And, and Earl was just uh, one of them, and uh, we were both uh, starving, so uh, we got a few, you know, week-to-week jobs and uh, looking for the, the hit like everybody else in the group was. So, What was your concept for the hit and how, how did that come about? Well, the, the I, first, first of all, as I say, I, I had spent so much time with the guys who had the comedy records. Lenny Bruce and Shelley Berman, Nichols and May, Jonathan Winters, my God. A ton of them. That was a big fashion here, the comedy album. And uh, I just had the idea to, when Kennedy got elected, he was such a giant movie star president, and he had a tremendous sense of humor. Mr. President, the Democratic platform in which you ran for election promises to work for equal rights for women, including equal pay, to wipe out job opportunity discriminations. Now, you have made efforts on behalf of others. What have you done for the women according to the promises of the platform? Well, I'm sure we haven't done enough, and... Uh... <laughs> I must say, I am a strong believer in equal pay uh, for equal work, and uh, I think that uh, uh, we ought to uh, do better than we're doing, and I'm glad that you reminded me of it. <laughs> we said, if we take this giant figure, this uh, movie star president, and put him in everyday uh, scenes, in other words, a fish out of water is what, it's, what it is in comedic terms. You know, if you take if you took uh, Donald Trump and put him uh, shopping in a grocery store okay. line and tell him six feet back, buddy, you know, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> it, it immediately, uh, you, you don't even need the jokes. You just need the situation. And uh, all we had to do was find a Kennedy impersonator. And there were several of them around in those days. A guy named Dick Sean who was the, oh, okay, uh, Dick yeah. was doing it too, uh, major guys. What was it like working with Vaughn? Like, how did you know, you know, he would be the guy? So I'm on a TV show called Talent Scouts. Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts. One of the first popular uh, talent shows. And we heard Vaughn do it. And uh, found his manager. He only did, he only did it in the act for about oh two minutes at that time. He did right. it right at right at the end of it. But we had him in, and he was better than anybody. He had the voice down perfectly. Now just a minute. Who do you think you are? Now let me say this about that. Number one, you he's not an expert on politics, but I am. So if you'd like to ask any uh, questions about uh, anything in the world, we'll take uh, your. Uh, the questions now and give you answers. Anyone at all? And were you there for the recording of the album? Yes, I'm in it. Oh, oh you, you okay? <laughs> all right. Did you ever hear it? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I listened to I listened to it. Um, uh, my, that's my swan. Right. We'll go back and. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever listen to the uh, White House tour? Yeah, that was the one with that uh, the um, that Jackie was giving. Right. Uh, listen to it again. That's me. Good evening. This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Good evening, Charles. Good evening. Shall we begin here in the West Wing? Yes. That particular piece, the White House tour, which Vaughn was uh, in maybe for five seconds, was the biggest played piece. It always always bothered him. didn't bother me. But uh, she was so good, Naomi. She was excellent with that. Uh, Jackie. I didn't realize until I listened to it that it was actually recorded live. Was there anything special that you remember that was going on that night when you recorded the album? Yes, just before that was uh, the famous uh, Cuban speech of Kennedy's. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. And we were in a studio at that time. We had a TV set in the back room, and we had a live audience out in front who did not hear his speech. It's a rather famous speech. You probably heard it. Uh, So uh, we went ahead and recorded it at 7.30. -hmm. We figured that that would go away and had nothing to do with what we were doing. It was uh, proved right. to be true. The guy who owned the record company was frightened by it, but we weren't. But I guess the studio audience had no idea what was going none, on. None, none whatsoever. Yeah. And we did it in, <laughs> it's done in one take, live audience, uh, no laugh tracks put in. Those days you didn't do that. You did a joke, you either got a laugh or you didn't. One take, uh, I'd say we did it in about... Oh, 35, 40 minutes. You know, we're standing, standing in microphones with scripts. It, it's, mm-hmm. not, uh, it's not like making a, uh, a live sh- uh, sitcom show. You know? So could you tell me a little bit about the album sales? I mean, how quickly did it happen? I mean, it, what, what was that like? It happened really in one day. It just exploded. It's, fu- it's funny. Um, I was still working at a uh, station in New York which happened to have been the number one uh, station, music station, uh, W-I-N-S. And uh, a buddy of mine was doing the afternoon show. That was Stan Burns. Right, it was Stan. Thank you so much, WW, and how are all of you out there? This is Stan Burns welcoming you to another edition of Stan the Request Man. All your favorite records of yesteryear and today. Earl and I, we got the first record. I said, let's go to W-I-N-S. And... Uh, he was about to go on the air. I told him what we had, and he, said, and he put it on in a uh, small room, heard the first piece, and he said, I'll play it uh, first up. So he played the entire album all the way through. Every phone lit up, Every I mean, it went crazy. But he played the album for three hours continuously. I've never heard of anybody doing that. People were tuning it in, thinking it was Kennedy, some people. 
Uh, but it, to them, it was funny. So it became what I call a, a hula hoop. You know, this mm-hmm. this week's thing you got to own before your neighbor does. It was obviously going to hit uh, because, I mean, Stan picked it up, but immediately every station in New York picked it up. And, you know, there are no secrets. And it's it's like news today, you know, how fast it travels. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting because also like people didn't really impersonate the president at the time. You know, it wasn't a, a big deal. Like you couldn't really impersonate Eisenhower. No, no. Meter was from up in the northwest somewhere. He was from I mean, Boston. He, he kind of Boston. Had... Yeah. Okay. And that's where the accent came from. He'd gone to school there, pretty much in the not in the same area that Jack Kennedy uh, grew up in. That was a, you know more elite. But uh, the accent was uh, was there. Some, sometimes when I talked to Vaughn on the phone, um, you would swear it was Kennedy. You know? Yeah, it, it is pretty good, and I think that was the thing that w- that was frightening to the, the the Kennedy staffers. They were saying because he does sound like the president, and it sounds like the president is doing a commercial Absolutely. for a local radio station. <laughs> <laughs> we were lucky enough that Kennedy loved the album because. Uh, mm-hmm. The guys around Kennedy tried to stop it. Yeah, that, that's what's interesting. So I, I actually pulled up, I did some research over at the JFK Library, and I actually found a couple of memos. Like uh, Arthur Schlesinger wrote a memo about hearing the album for the first time, and he almost drove off the road. Right, right. And then there's another memo where, I'll read you out one line from it, um, and she said, he's saying, uh, the president discussed this album with me on Monday and also with Ken O'Donnell. It was more or less agreed that nothing could be done about this particular record. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. There was a, um, the head uh, press guy in the White House was a man named Merriman Smith. And he, he was an idol in the press business here when, when it was before fake news came into into popularity and Merriman uh, I'd never met him I knew who he was uh, in fact he's he's the man who actually called in Kennedy's death and he was a v- very good friend of Jack's and he called me about two days after the album was out and he said Bob I, you, do you know who I am I said yes I know who you are he said he loves it he absolutely <laughs> loves it and he said, I'm telling you this on the side because I know they're going to hit at you, you know, and try and stop it. Uh, just because uh, they give him something to do, I guess. I, but uh, Kennedy bought uh, 100 copies as Christmas gifts for people. How many albums did you guys wind up selling? I mean, what was the final, the final figure on that? Seven, year, and, seven and a half million. It's probably a little more. Well, it's... It, it was put back out on the 50th anniversary, and I don't even uh, know that count in front of me. Um, I didn't keep t- track of it that much. Uh, I'd say probably 8 million totally by now. Then we went on tour with it in 
January. Yeah, I was going to ask about because I found a bunch of... Um, I was digging some through some newspapers and I found uh, the newspaper ads. So wh- what kind of places did you guys play? Well, we opened in Carnegie Hall, which I must say uh, the, the press were kind of surprised that we would open in such a distinguished spot. But the, al- the album was hot and it was just January. We'd already sold seven and a half million copies of it six weeks so we put it together and uh, opened the show uh, and then traveled to cities you know Boston Detroit ended up in Vegas about three four months later uh, for the final I guess we played a month in Vegas with it it was a show you know a show with uh, actors and, and we had an opening musical act and such and you were on stage performing? No, no. After oh, okay. after the album, we uh, Earl and I got too too damn busy to do it, and we had a deal with Vaughn to do a second album. So uh, we started writing it. In fact, we were lucky. While we were on tour, uh, I traveled with the show, and we would put the new pieces in and try them out in audiences along the way. So we pretty much knew what worked and what didn't before we got the second album. And that was, uh, it was just volume two, I believe it was called, or something. I must say the nicest compliment I think that we were ever paid, the the New York Times, which I'm not a fan of the New York Times, but, (laughs) but I was at that time. And they said that seldom, if ever, is number two of anything better than number one. But uh, they said that the second volume was better than the first. So that was a nice opinion anyway, T. in the annals of America has been written to the crack of an assassin's bullet. A nation mourns, the world grieves. The man who became 35th president less than three years ago is dead. November 1963. That was obviously kind of the end. What was your your thoughts about that time? Uh, Saddest day of my life uh, that I remember, you know, not not my personal life, but my business life. Mm-hmm. I loved the man. I thought he was uh, such a promise for this country. And now we'll mm-hmm. never know. Uh, yeah. I had a, had a very funny hearing of it. I was having lunch with, I don't know if you know who Allen Ginsberg was. Of course, yeah. Wow. And, and <laughs> okay. uh, Bob Dylan. And uh, three of us were having lunch downtown in the, in the village project I was working on and uh, I got a call from my secretary and she said Kennedy's been shot he was not instantly dead you know as far as news was concerned they said he'd been shot and they didn't know so I just uh, threw some money on the table told the guys and got a cab went to the office for the TV Sad, sad day. Sad. It's one of the few things in uh, this country 
that everybody remembers. It, mm-hmm. It's it's like this virus thing is going to be remembered in another sense. But uh, you can ask most any person, where were you when Kennedy died? Of course, there are very few very few left. Uh, I'm I'm just lucky enough to be a little older. So, how did the the president's assassination affect the what what you guys did with the album? Uh, well, I'm. I went immediately to the phone, uh, but by the time I got back to the office, uh, Kennedy was gone, and I called uh, Archie Blyer, who owned the record label, uh, Cadence Records. And I don't know if you know who Blyer was, but he was a very well-known musician uh, and record uh, boss. And I said, I want no part whatsoever in cashing in on this and I know it's going to be it's going to go crazy and people are going to want it I don't want to I don't want to make money off of Jack Kennedy's uh, death and I said I would like to have all the albums pulled back and chopped up and they did it in fact he he felt the same the minute I told him I said you're right Bob I don't want to do it's not fair, you know. I mean, Mike, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah, that's uh, not. I, I, I totally understand. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was well. That's a very honorable thing. Well, it's it's, it's just human human right. I mean, it's like uh, I I wouldn't buy stock in any company today trying to cash in on the virus. This, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of it uh, here in America. You've you've never seen so many different masks and and lotion oh, lotions yeah. for your hands and uh, rip-offs right I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't buy stock in one of those companies or anything as an endorsement When was the last time that you talked to Vaughn? Uh, ooh, just I would I would say maybe six months before he passed away. Vaughn and I oh, Vaughn okay. and I were not uh, close friends. Uh, I mean, we just uh, you know he, he was an actor that uh, had worked for us, um, and uh, it, it wasn't a social thing at all. Right. So uh, I felt I felt very sorry for uh, the fact that he was so stuck with the imitation that the career was over. I know that mm-hmm. I didn't know he tried a few things after that. I'm not really sure what they are. As I said, I didn't talk to him a lot. Uh, and his wife called me. Uh, I don't know how she found me, but the current wife uh, called me the day he died. And there had been no word of it, so I called all the press people because I, th- I thought that he deserved that, you know, proper goodbye. So Associated Press and all of them jumped on it. So it was a nice story of his uh, career and such. Interesting to talk to people with some great stories, and thank you for your time. Sure thing. Thanks very much. Take care of okay. yourself. 
All right, bye, Bob. Bye.